Hey everyone, if you are a high school student or a parent or uh, adult looking to return back into higher education and you need some help understanding financial aid in FAFSA, this episode is for you. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Kiki. And I'm Kemi. And you're listening to Your Advisors Will See You Now, a podcast that will help you to figure out all of your options for life after high school. everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Your Advisors Will See You Now. We are starting to get into the uh, part of the year where it is the FAFSA is open and students are starting to apply for, for school in the following year. So we thought it would be best to have someone on here that can talk a little bit about the financial aid process in FAFSA because we know that it can be difficult sometimes to process some of the terms and how some things work. So we wanted to um, have a special guest on. So we have Megan Speth on today. She, we worked together. And as soon as I met her and I understood like when she was talking, her understanding of how she wants people to have better understandings of different pathways to less debt and financial aid, I was like, we got to have her on. Like, we got to have her on. So without further ado, Megan, please introduce yourself. Sure. So yes, I'm Megan Speth. I'm the Assistant Vice President of Enrollment Management and the Director of Financial Aid at Mary Baldwin University. Most of my job is focused in financial aid. I run the financial aid office, everything from answering the phone and talking to a student through something to, you know, larger scale items and reporting to the Department of Education and all of that really boring stuff that is behind the scenes. But my favorite part of my job is getting to talk to students. So getting any of the information out to you all. Um, I'm excited to do that. So thanks so much for having me on today. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Megan. We really appreciate it. I don't think we have anybody, we've had anybody that's like from financial aid yet. We've done it on our own a little bit, but this is going to be great insight. I can already tell. So, I mean, just to start it off, can you talk about like what financial aid is, how that can look and, you know, in there talk about FAFSA. I know a lot of students, when I talk with them, they're like, I'll ask them, do you apply for financial aid? They're like, I did the FAFSA. And I'm like, well, essentially you done financial aid then. But can you kind of differentiate those terms and talk about what financial aid looks like in a student's yes. college experience? Absolutely. So a lot of people think about financial aid and only think it is loans or what can I get for free? So I filed my FAFSA and, you know, what can I get for free? And starting off with it's the FAFSA. It's F-A-F-S-A, which is kind of hard to say when they put those letters together. Um, some people call it FAFSA. But it's an acronym. It stands for the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. Um, and the free part is the part that I always like to emphasize. There are some websites out there that try and get students and families to pay to file the FAFSA. They'll charge you $75. Well, first of all, that doesn't go to the Department of Education. And you're out $75. And you've just put financial information into some kind of system. So it's important. Everything lives at studentaid.gov. Mm -hmm. They have updated the website and it's all housed under there. Um, and as of October 1st, students can start filing for next year for the 23-24 you know, FAFSA year school year, which is kind of crazy to think about in October mm -hmm. of 2022, but that's what they're, <laughs> that's what they're doing. Um, and the FAFSA alone is, you know, it feels daunting sometimes to families. It's, you know, I don't know how to fill this out. There's passwords. There's all of, you know, those processes. The first thing, at least with that, um, is uh, the Department of Education actually has YouTube videos, which I think are very helpful to walk students and families through that. They have their own YouTube channel where they have like little 
they're like animations, I guess. Um, but they will walk students through things. The first thing that they have to get is a federal student aid or FSA ID. Um, and that is, we always tell students to make sure you pick an email address that you'll always have access to, a Gmail, not your high school email. Um, and then a parent will also need it. So if you're an 18 year old that's going to school, you and a parent are gonna need federal student aid IDs and they have to be separate email addresses and they're associated with your social security number. Um, and then you can verify, you know, to get back in that way. But that's gonna be your federal student ID forever. So when you, we'll talk about loans in a minute, when you start paying loans back, you'll log in with that same username and password to try and get that done. And it's all done electronically at this point. Um, but what the FAFSA does is it collects household information, financial information, and then right now, this is the last year they're doing this, but right now they, they create something called an EFC or an expected family contribution. And then your schools are going to use that EFC to help award financial aid, both federal financial aid, but also school financial aid. Next year, they're moving to something called a student aid index. Um, hmm. And they're supposed yeah. to tell us more about that. So I will have to learn about that. Maybe I'll have to hop back on next year and say, yeah. hey, these are the changes that are coming, but they haven't, they haven't given that that to us yet and so you always want to have your tax information with you when you're filing the FAFSA um, just kind of in front of you because it's going to go through and ask some questions about your family financial situations and even though you know students are 18 and they think that they're on their own until you turn 24 unless you know or you're married or you're doing graduate school or there's a special circumstance um, which you talk to your financial aid office about you will have to have parents fill it out, even if you're not living at home, which can be confusing sometimes too for students as they go through the process. But that's the first step of filing for financial aid. And even if you don't think, you know, I'm not gonna get anything from it, it's important as a first time student going in to file it at least that one time, just to see what you might get. So I think on building on yeah. top of that, uh, that top of the answer, when a student goes in, they sit down on that final weekend, they're like, I'm going to start applying for my FAFSA. What are the common documents that they mm -hmm. need to have with them so they can apply? Yes. So you would have a, your parent with you, or if you're an independent student, which is, we use terms dependent and independent. That's what you'll hear a lot of, dependent and independent. Um, you'll have typically your 1040 forms. You won't need state tax forms, but you'll need federal tax forms. If you are somebody who owns a business, you will need you know, those tax forms as well. But what I encourage students and families to do is there's actually an IRS data retrieval tool option in the FAFSA. So you want to have access to those documents in case for some reason the tool is down or it's asking questions that you might have a unique financial situation. But if you're, you know, standard file as head of household or filed as, you know, married filing jointly, that IRS data retrieval tool, as long as you've filed your taxes, will pull that tax information directly into the FAFSA. And then we know it's right because it's what you filed with the IRS. Mm -hmm. um, the only exception to that is if uh, parents or students have filed married filing separately. It has a hard time with that. Um, and so you'll want to have both tax documents if for some reason somebody files married filing separately. But you'll want to have that in front of you. Um, and typically it's just the 1040 form. It's going to ask questions like adjusted gross income, taxes paid. Um, it is also right now asking the size of the people that are in your household. So if you've got kind of a complex family situation, you might want to call or there's a chat option at studentaid.gov and say, hey, these are the people that are living under my roof. Because if, you know, mom has her boyfriend living in the household, but, and he has kids that are there 50% of the time, it can be confusing to figure out who's included in your household. And so call a financial aid office 
um, and they can help you or the studentaid.gov will help you. But those are the big things to kind of have in front of you are those tax forms and making sure you understand the household size question because it can be a little bit more complex than just the people that, that live in your house. If you have grandma's living here, but she's got social security benefits. So you're, you're not supporting grandma. She's just living in your household she wouldn't be included in that household. But grandma lives with you because she had a stroke and she doesn't have social security benefits yet. And mom and dad are paying for grandma. Then grandma is included in the household. So that can be a little complicated sometimes mm. too. I know <laughs> I said this would be easy. <laughs> this would be easy. And for most students, it is kind of straightforward, but the chat bot is there and there, I think they're staffed 24 seven now, um, at least. And even for me as somebody who could call, um, I like using the chat feature even on the financial aid mm -hmm. director side because I like having in writing the answer that they're going to give me because I save that and I kind of put it in a file. So then if you did file it, you did the chat and somebody's like, why did they do that? You would have it right there. Why that, you know, you did that that way and you have the answer to it too. Thanks. Gotcha. That's smart. Smart. So, <laughs> so a student has applied for FAFSA, done everything you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. They still have student aid reports that they get after they do all that. Okay. Can you yes. break down the student aid report? Because that includes like their award, which includes their loans, grants, and all that fun stuff. Yep. So it'll include federally that funding. Federal. Okay. So um, all of this is federal funding. None of the FAFSA right. is just federal funding, but mm -hmm. states use it and financial aid offices use it for institutional funding and things like mm -hmm. that. Um, so oh, they'll send that student aid. Real, real quick, yeah. can you just uh, describe from some of our audience members what's a federal versus state? Because maybe they're not. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can. So federal is what you get from the Department of Education. So a Pell Grant is a federal grant. Um, the loans, for the most part, that people talk about that you hear about on the news are federal loans or Stafford loans, although I don't use that language a whole lot. Um, but those are, that's what you're looking at coming there. And what the FAFSA is assuming is that, and for a traditional going to college, you're going to live at college student, you're going to be full time because all of financial aid is based off of that FAFSA information and your enrollment, which um, is sometimes tricky if you don't know that walking in the door. And that's okay. That's why we are here to talk you through what might change with your enrollment. But um, yeah, so the student aid report comes into play with that where it might tell you that EFC I mentioned earlier, your expected family contribution. And the number, we work with students um, a lot who have an expected family contribution of zero. And so that tricks you sometimes because you're like, well, if they don't expect me to pay anything for college, then I get to go to college for free, which is, it is not the right. case. Um, that expected family contribution is just taking that information and coming up with a number on what you or your family has the financial ability to pay towards college. And that's what we use that number for things. Um, it qualifies you in for, like I mentioned, a federal Pell Grant, which is a grant from the Department of Education. Grants are good, GG. Good is free. So grants are free. Um, and that gets confusing sometimes too. But it'll tell you, okay, if you're a full-time student, you are gonna, your expected family contribution is zero. And your federal Pell Grant amount that you should get next year if you're a full-time student fall and spring is $68.75. Or it might say your expected family contribution is $20,000 and I will go ahead and tell you, I don't know that I've ever talked to anybody who's got an expected family contribution that's not zero. That's like, that's right. That's definitely what I think I could pay for my child to go to college. Nobody ever thinks that. It's not, it, I've had multiple parents go, well, we can't pay $20,000 a year for college. And I'm like, I know, but this is, this is a federal form that's all encompassing. This is not the actual 
100% reality of your situation. But it'll tell you, you have this, and then it'll tell you you qualify for, and this is all based off of this FAFSA information, but it might change at the school that you're at. And we'll talk about financial aid packages in a minute because those are school specific. But it might say you qualify for $3,500 in subsidized loans and $2,000 in unsubsidized loans. So subsidized loans are loans that don't accrue interest while you're in school. The Department of Education pays the loan, pays the interest on those loans while you're in school. They end up being cheaper loans. But those are need-based loans. Those are high-need loans. So that expected family contribution, it, you know, will say your need level is zero or your expected family contribution is $4,000. Typically, expected family contribution ranges for people that are eligible for the federal Pell Grant run between zero and it's like $5,700. And federal Pell Grants are kind of on a scale. So if your expected family contribution is zero, you get more Pell Grant than if your expected family contribution is $3,000 and a three th somebody with an EFC of 3,000 gets more than somebody with an EFC of 5,000. Okay. So that student aid report is going to tell you, you qualify for a Pell Grant, or it might just say you qualify for $5,500 of unsubsidized loans because anybody that files a FAFSA, no matter that expected family contribution, that's a first year student that is dependent. So under that 24 age gets offered $5,500 in loans. Independent students, we have learners who are going back to school, that number's higher, it's $9,500. But those are your two standard levels. And then those loans go up. So a sophomore or second year student, a student that's earned 30 credits gets $6,500 or $10,500. And then junior and senior year, it's $7,500 for um, dependent students and it's up to $12,500 for independent students. So that student aid report because you'll pick a year in school too. So if you're an adult learner that's going back and you have two years at a community college under your belt and you're applying for a four-year school and you put that you're a junior on your FAFSA, it will take that information and say, okay, you should have $12,500 or you should have that $7,500. It'll tell you that on that student aid report. But that's what gets sent to the schools too. So you get a summary of it and then we get all the detailed information that came up with the calculation for that EFC and what your Pell Grant's supposed to be. And you can add up to 10 schools on the FAFSA. So if you're, it's October and you're applying for colleges and you're like, I don't know where I'm getting in yet, right? No early decision, nothing's going on yet. Put, put 10 schools on there and submit it. And then if you're like, well, I want to apply to 12 schools, then you'd go back in, take two schools off and add two more schools on there. You can go back and forth and submit it as many times as you want to. Although I wouldn't submit it like 50 times. I yeah. would maybe make calculated decisions, maybe the first 10 and then take them all off and then put the next five on there and then only maybe resubmit it if you add one more school on there. So, um, and that's all that'll also be on the student aid report it'll give you your list of schools so you can check and make sure oh yeah i did send my fafsa to elon i did send my fafsa to these schools so that you can keep track of it too awesome i really appreciate that you mentioned that too because i feel like that's a big myth is well i didn't apply mm -hmm. for schools yet so i shouldn't apply for fafsa so i'm happy that mm -hmm. you said that it's like yes you should start applying now even if you're not sure but list some of the schools mm -hmm. that you're interested in so you can have this information ahead of time uh so mm -hmm. can you go into the actual packaging, uh, student packaging for different yep. colleges and schools? Absolutely. And I do want to throw in, you want to check your schools that you're interested in applying to, their FAFSA priority dates. So I live in Virginia. I know a lot more about Virginia financial aid because that's where I live. And the FAFSA priority filing deadline for most of our state schools is March 1st. 
paying attention and getting that FAFSA and on time is important because some state schools won't, you will not qualify for state money if you apply after that priority deadline. You might still get that federal funding, you might get some institutional money, but they only get one certain pot of money from the state to give out. And so they're only gonna give it to students who have filed by that priority deadline. It doesn't mean you can't file it afterwards, it just may mean you might not get state funding. We're a private school, so that doesn't really apply to us, but it, it's important if you're looking at um, any type of state school or anything like that to make sure you're paying attention to those priority deadlines. So I just want to throw that in there. Since we're early enough, we're in October. I'm not having this conversation in April where I'm like, well, you might already miss yeah. it. So yeah. we're in a good spot. Um, all right. So packaging at the school. So what happens, and I'm going to talk with my hands, even though y'all are doing a podcast because this is how I operate. Um, so if you want me, if you're listening to the podcast, and you want to Zoom call me, I'll show you the hand motions that I made. <laughs> um, what happens is all those schools that you sent that FAFSA information to, we get something called an ICER, which is just a summary of your FAFSA information. And a lot of times, depending on what school it is, some schools, we are one of them because we're a small private school, will start sending out financial aid packages in November. So if you've been admitted, you could get a financial aid package in November from us. Other schools, particularly bigger state schools, don't send them out till April 1st. So you may have a while where you submitted your FAFSA in October, but you won't get a financial aid package until April because admissions for that school hasn't gone out yet and they're only going to package students that are admitted. So if you send your FAFSA to a school that you're not admitted to, um, you won't get a financial aid package and they will... Um, they will just not do anything with that information. So it's okay to you know send it to schools. Your top, I'm not sure if I'm going to get into the school school down to your local community college if that's one of the things that you're looking at as well because that's a good affordable option um, for a lot of students too. So we get that information and for us there's different financial aid systems. It gets pulled in. I get the data from admissions that tells me, you know, little Johnny was admitted so he's an admitted student and I should package him his financial aid so we assume and not every school is like this but we assume you know you're 18 years old you're gonna be a first you know first year college student coming in you're gonna be full-time which means you're gonna be in at least 12 credit hours for fall and 12 credit hours for spring so that's how we get that financial aid packaged for you and we take that EFC data and then we pull in any scholarships that you're eligible for. Your school will have scholarships, maybe, or they won't. But for us, we have scholarships. So I pull in scholarship data. And if a student's eligible for a Pell Grant, I give them that Pell Grant money. I also give them their loan funding. But we have need-based grants for students that aren't eligible for Pell Grants, which is why it's important to get your FAFSA into a school. Because even though you might not qualify for a Pell Grant, you might qualify for institutional grant funding. We have inst some institutional grant funding for our um, residential population. So that coming in, even there might be a student with an expected family contribution of $8,000. Well, they're not eligible for a federal Pell Grant, but they still have need. So we are able to meet some of that need by pulling in some institutional financial aid, which is why it's so important to get that in there. Um, for us, for our residential students, which are our traditional 18-year-old population students, they get a nice pretty financial aid package that gets sent in the mail because even though students do everything on their computers, parents like paper. So we mail that paper packet home and most schools still do. Some of them have a portal where you can go in and, and log in and check. So you'll want to make sure you're checking your email that you apply with and all that. Um, but a lot of schools still send out a, a paper financial aid package and it's going to give you a summary and it's going to be specific to you as a student. So even though your friend that is in your grade filed her FAFSA and Susie, you know, also got admitted to Elon and 
they sent her a financial aid package. Hers might look different than yours. Her family financial situation might be different. She might have gotten an academic scholarship or you might have. So it's going to be different for everybody. So I don't typically recommend going around showing your financial aid package to everybody on the planet. Um, but for us, we do a summary of scholarships and grants, and then we give an estimated total at the bottom that says, if you're not taking out any loans, this is what you're going to owe to attend next year as a full-time student. Then we add the loans in and we say, okay, if you want loans, this is what you're going to owe if you attend next year as a full-time student. For our adult learners that are coming back that typically take classes online, um, we don't mail them paper because they're all over the country. They're not usually like right in our backyard. Um, they go onto our, our financial aid portal and that'll show them the same summary. And we'll show them at the top, okay, you're a full-time student. So we've packaged you as a full-time student. Here's your, you know, Pell Grant. Here's any other funding that you might be eligible for. Here are your loans. And they can go through and um, and read through that. And it's it's just to give you an idea. It's general at this point. It'll be more, you know, once you get in closer and you get registered for classes and things like that to where it might change for you, um, you know, with a Pell Grant, if you go from being full-time to half-time. So if you were taking 12 hours, but you're only going to take six, if you let your financial aid office know that they can make adjustments so you only see the Pell Grant you get as a half-time student um, and with loans you have to be at least half-time so if you're only going to take one class you know a semester if you're only going to take three credit hours a semester you're not going to be eligible for that federal loan funding you've got to be in at least six hours so you'll want to talk to your financial aid office about that too so that we can sit down and help you plan out okay this is financially what you can do and we might work with your advisor on it too some students like that some you know know what they want so that we can help you figure it out the whole point of financial aid is helping you aiding you in getting your financials in order to go to school that's the whole point of it and but it's all based on enrollment so it'll be you know based off of that enrollment once we get there but our traditional college students you'll get you know a paper package in the mail virginia has a standard financial aid letter so we all have to show the same three numbers they look different but they have a standard that says okay a balance after scholarships and grants a balance after loans and then a cost of attendance balance which is another thing that's confusing because cost of attendance includes indirect costs so things like um transportation we build into the budget if a student needs it but your student that lives five minutes from campus or is an online student isn't really going to spend money on transportation. So that is not my favorite number, but it is required by the Commonwealth of Virginia. So we do have to do it. Different states are going to have different rules on the types of financial aid packages out there. And sometimes it can be hard because you're going to you're going to want to compare apples to apples, but you might be comparing apples to oranges to bananas to maybe this other one is kind of like the first apple you looked at. So um, it can be difficult. You can lay them all out and your your college counselor um, or you can call each of the schools and talk to the financial aid offices should be able to tell you what these numbers mean and how things come in that way. Because even though it may look like X school is giving you $45,000 in scholarships and you're like, well, that has to be the cheapest school. If their tuition $70,000 a year, the school who has $40,000 tuition and has given you a $22,000 scholarship is going to be a cheaper option right. for you. So it's important to make sure you're paying attention to that bottom line too. But that's each of the schools that you get into will send you that, that financial aid package if you filed your FAFSA. Most schools will not send you a financial aid package even if you've gotten some kind of scholarship if you have not filed the FAFSA, which is another reason why it's important to get it done even if you don't think you're going to... A lot of students will go, I'm not going to get anything from it. Well, 
you don't know. This is just mm -hmm. a guess that you're making and your school might have some funding available for you as well. So I feel like I've talked oh. super fast and a lot. Oh, no, don't I know I was good. Listeners, don't be overwhelmed. It will be, it will be okay. I needed you when I was applying to college. This is this is <laughs> perfect. But um, I'm asking one more rogue question that we didn't have in the question list. But That's can fine. you talk about verification and what that mm -hmm. process is and what that means? Yep. So verification is FAFSA verification. A third of all FAFSAs that get a, get filed get selected for verification that. Um, what they put on the FAFSA is true and correct. So what that means then is your financial aid office is going to start collecting some information to verify that's correct. Most schools have a verification form where you list the people in your household like we were talking about earlier. And so if you put that you had five people in your household on your FAFSA and you got selected for verification, but one of those people was your mom's boyfriend, well, you really have four people in your household based off of that information. And so we'd adjust that. We would go in and adjust. You don't have to do it. We would go in and adjust your FAFSA. Same thing with tax documents. If you've used that IRS data retrieval tool, you don't have to send us tax documents because what you put on your FAFSA has been verified by the IRS. So we don't need any more information. If you don't use that data retrieval tool, then we will ask you to securely send us tax documents and things like that so that we can make sure that the FAFSA was filled out correctly. They have cut down on some of the verification because of COVID-19, but I don't know if they're going to ramp it back up. They, you know, tried to put some pieces in order to try and make things less difficult for students to go to college. One of the, the big pushes right now is removing barriers for students to go to college and financially filing the FAFSA and doing things like that is a huge barrier. And they keep saying they're going to make the, the goal for next year is to um, have that 24-25 FAFSA be simpler to process. I will let you know what I think once I see it, because sometimes <laughs> We have people that make decisions that are not the ones that are filling out the FAFSA or the ones that are working with the students filling out the FAFSA. And so what makes sense to a 60-year-old senator may not be the right thing for an 18-year-old college student or a 45-year-old college student for that matter. I mean, so I'll let you know when we get there. But that's the whole goal is to remove the barriers. And so we've seen less verification, which has been good, but we've also more and more students are using that data retrieval tool, which makes it a lot simpler to complete that process. So don't be scared if you get selected for verification. It doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. It doesn't mean that you have messed something up because sometimes students will panic. It just means you might have been the lucky lottery number that they pulled out that day to select you for verification. And the more times you submit your FAFSA, the more likely you're going to be pulled for verification. Because if you think about it, they look at that every batch, right? So you file it the first time and you weren't, your lottery number wasn't selected but you file it five times by the time we get to that fifth time that they may have selected you because you're going back through that process every single time so that's one of the things that i was like well you probably don't want to submit it 50 times because you're definitely going to get selected for verification you submit your fafsa 50 times because it's just how the how the cookie crumbles kiki did you want to follow a question or can i go into my next one yeah, go ahead. So when we were talking about packages earlier, so we talked about loans and grants, can you talk a little bit about work study? Because they might say, what is work study? Mm -hmm. If they get that on there. Yeah, absolutely. So work study is um, a way that you can earn money. So you have to federally qualify for it, just like the Pell Grants. Another reason to file the FAFSA, because you will not qualify for work study if we don't you know, get any of that information from you. And it's for students who have need. So even though you might not have enough need to get a Pell Grant, 
you might have enough need to get a student employment job or a work study job. We've run ours, we call it a student employment program because we also try and do things like resume building and things like that. Different schools kind of do it differently, but it's where you'd work on campus and earn money. Some schools, I know like Hampton University, um, which is three or four hours from us, put that money directly into your account to go towards your tuition. Other schools like us give you a paycheck every two weeks. It'll just depend on how the school works it out. For us, our student employment and a lot of places I think are really moving towards this model. Students need money sometimes. Sometimes you want to walk downtown and get a slice of pizza. Sometimes you want to buy shampoo. Sometimes, you know, you want to order those cool new jeans from somewhere. Um, and you can use that student employment money for that. We give students paychecks and let them decide what they want to do with that money. You can turn it around and pay tuition off with it. It is not a great tool to say, okay, well, um, I can earn up to $1,500 right. you know, with work-study money, and my balance that I owe the school is $2,000, so I really only owe them $500. No, you have to apply. You have to get hired. You have to earn that money. Um, so we always tell students, you've got to figure out that, you know, that budgeted out piece, you know, we want to figure out how we're going to pay that full $2,000 and set up a payment plan. And then if you do have extra money at the end of it, that's great. You can use that for something else. You can use that paycheck for something else, but don't take that number. That'll also be on the student aid report. Don't, and it just still say you qualify or you don't, don't take that number and subtract it from the tuition that you owe. Cause it's not a safe bet. And then you might end up with a bill and you're like, Oh man, I only earned $1,200 cause I got sick for two weeks. And so I didn't work those two weeks. Well, you still gonna owe the money, yeah. so, um, and it's a it's a good way to figure out sometimes too if you want to work in higher education. A lot of um, people that work in higher education were work study students in offices across campuses. So if you think you might want to do that, I was a um, student employee in a dean's office when I was in college, and liked some of the advising side of it. I did a, an advising internship over transfer credits because I had worked that job I was able to get that internship which helped me you know complete my second bachelor's degree and work towards my master's degree so there are things that you can also educationally benefit from it too um, and you can also look and see I turned some of my you know work study into internship hours too so there are some benefits to that um, where well, I didn't have a paid internship but I had internship hours I needed to do so while I was at work, I asked for, you know, a couple of extra things. I read transcripts and did some things like that that I wasn't doing as a student employee, but because I had that connection and got connected on campus, I was able to do that too. So it's a good way to get to know people other than just your faculty um, on campus that work in different offices. And plus, I love our work-study students. They're great, and we love having mm -hmm. them in our office because it's, it's also nice because then I get to know what's going on right. on campus. Right. 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 They will come in and go, oh, did you know X, Y, and Z is happening? There's free snow cones out in front of the library. And I'd be like, nobody told me, but they told my work-study students, so now I know I can go get a snow cone. Right. So there's there's those benefits, too. Yeah. I really Absolutely. I really appreciate you talking about work-study, too, because I remember when I used to work at my um, another institution, I would have students that were, they were doing the, the right work and, like, contacting me ahead of time saying, well, if I have a work-study for this, so I aim to do this and this. And I was like, I love that you were coming to contact me ahead of time because... Um, they were like, I'm mm -hmm. going to get this job. How much is the average for the state where you're in? Da, 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 da. And I was like, so I'm going to say it's fair. You have to apply. Like you said before, you have to apply for the job. You have to get accepted. Mm -hmm. And you got to hope that that job can give you X amount of hours because if the minimum wage is like 15, 
uh, that means you have to do X amount of hours in an office if they want you to. Yep. And some offices, depending on the university, only want you to work a certain amount of hours because they want other students to have mm-hmm. money too. So it's good for you to say that so people can kind of have a realistic goal in terms of mm-hmm. this money isn't necessarily um, 100% guaranteed to put towards tuition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just that you can earn it. So it's just important to um, to make sure you understand that and not build all of your financial planning on your work study job. And we have less positions than we do than we have students who are eligible for federal work study. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there are just not enough positions to go around for the students that qualify. So you want to make sure that you're paying attention to that. Check your email. Yes. Y'all all, please check your email. For the love of all please check your email. I don't email yes. you. Your financial aid office isn't going to email you just for fun. Your advisor's <laughs> yes. not going to email you just for fun. I, that is the one thing that I would like to walk around like maybe with a sign all over the world just going, please check, check your, email. your email. I promise there is information in there once we get to that point. Um, and that's how we communicate with our work-study students too. Mm-hmm. That's when the portal opens. Ours opens in July for them to start applying for jobs. All the jobs are posted. They can go in and start applying electronically then. They won't interview until they get to campus. Um, but we've emailed it to you. So go in and check it and, you know, make sure you're paying attention to the stuff that's coming from, from your offices. That's just a mm-hmm. side note as a mm-hmm. higher education administrator, that check your email. That's a word. Um, <laughs> we're going to have t-shirts that have check your email on them. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> but that's, that is, it will I can't wait to get them every day. <laughs> yeah, All the overall <laughs> as soon as yeah, I come into contact with students. Just as a reminder. No, it's going to be our uniform because I say the same thing yeah. too. Um, mm-hmm. But can you talk about if students receive private scholarships, can that affect their financial aid package? It can, but it's not a reason to not apply for them. Right. So um, at least for us, and most schools are this way, there's something called a cost of attendance budget. I mentioned it kind of briefly briefly earlier that includes your tuition and fees that you're going to pay, but it also, you know, for students that live on campus, includes room and board, all of your direct costs to the university, but it also includes things like a transportation budget and a personal expense budget um, and things like that. And so we can't award you more than that cost of attendance. So if you get a $90,000 scholarship and they want to give it to you all in one year, we will likely, yeah, that would be great, right? We'd probably call the scholarship company. Google did this at one point. We had a student who got a $50,000 scholarship and they wanted to send us a $50,000 check like her first year. And we called them. We're like, yeah, no, we're not doing this. We've got to split this up. She needs, you know, $12,000 a year. Um, so if you get, that's, that's what I'm saying, apply for the scholarships, but Um, What will happen is, if it's over that cost of attendance, is that we'll start reducing your loan funding. We'll start reducing all of that, you know, yucky money that you don't want. We'll reduce that if it even gets to that cost of attendance piece. It is not often that that happens. So it should not negatively impact you. Also, more free money. I mean, for the love, please apply for scholarships and don't just go on the internet and apply. There are some websites that are good, scholarships.com and fastweb.com or two that we recommend because they're vetted, which means um, they're not paid to apply scholarships. There's nothing on there that's going to scam you out of money or anything like that. But the best place people get scholarships that I've seen, I know you didn't ask this, but while I'm talking about it, um, is your churches and your Kiwanis clubs and your YMCA's and your don't say no, don't not apply for a $250 scholarship. Cause you're like, that's not that much money. That's a book or yep. two. That's part of your, you know, room and board for, you know, that's two weeks living in your dorm. That's it's important to, and those add up. 
I mean, honestly, the students that I see most successful is not because somebody's gotten a, you know, a $20,000 scholarship. It's because they've gotten 10 $500 scholarships because they walked around and applied for those scholarships. So do it. And this is not like high school or college where you can't use the same essay. Like they don't, you can't use like old work to turn in. You can plagiarize yourself for a scholarship essay, write one like good scholarship, you know, subject that's on there. Cause some of them won't care. They'll just say, tell us about yourself. And then you can go in and make adjustments to it. So it won't even take that much time either. Um, so that is the thing that I've seen students be most successful. Do not be afraid it's going to negatively impact your financial aid and not apply for scholarships. Please apply for them. We mm -hmm. want you getting out the door with as little debt as possible. And that's also what you want. Um, and even though student loan forgiveness is on everybody's, you know, the top of everybody's mind right now, these students that are starting classes next fall do not have, they do not qualify. My students that started in August don't qualify. The loans have to have been dispersed before June 30th, which is a fiscal year thing. Um, so, don't walk in the door going, I don't need to apply for scholarships because I'm just going to take out loans and they're going to be forgiven. There, There is no guarantee. Right. And you are relying on your government and whoever is in power to maybe making decisions on things like that. And it is it is not the safest yeah. bet to put yourself in debt just for that. So get those outside scholarships. Apply. Look lots of places. If you are going to use this websites, be really detailed in it. So don't just go oh, I'm 19 years old from Iowa on there. Well, you're 19 years old from Iowa, but you have an interest in engineering and you danced for 16 years and you know how to play the, the tuba and twirl a baton and also do social justice work on the, the weekend or, and are involved <laughs> in this. Yeah, and you're very busy. But put all that on there because there might be the baton twirler tuba player scholarship and nobody else qualifies for it but you did because you learned how to do both of those things at the same time which I think is impossible but you get what I'm saying use some of those unique things you know you're for first generation students in particular there are a lot of scholarships out there for first gen students but some of them are, are very niche so it might be a first generation student who has a parent from a country in Central America well there's probably not that many of them that are applying for those scholarships. You might get that if you have that parent. Um, make sure that you, this is like my step stool that I stand on because there's like millions of dollars of unused scholarship money in the United States and tons of kids that are in debt because they didn't apply for those scholarships. And I would rather you put the work in as a senior in high school. Yes. And so I know it's hard and I know you have senioritis and you're like, I just want to get out of here and move on with my next life. But future you will thank past you for applying for those scholarships and adult learners that are going back there is money out there for you too there are people have finally gotten their brains turned on to like oh not every college student is 18 that's going to college we need to offer money for the mom who had four kids and you know stayed home with them and then you know all of her kids are old enough to get back into whatever they're doing and she can finally focus on herself she can finally focus on getting her degree at 45 or 46 years old there's money for those for those people out there too you just have to kind of to sniff around and look you've got to put some work in on it but it will future you will look back and go pat on the back past me i really thank myself i did that the other day because I left a Diet Coke somewhere <laughs> in somebody's fridge and they were they had to go home and they had to come back to the office and the machine has not been working in our building and I was like did I leave that Diet Coke in your refrigerator and he was like yeah you left it here and I was like wonderful I love past me for putting that Diet Coke in there because now I get to drink this at my desk while I'm doing whatever I'm doing so and that's just a little thing you know you want right. past you to help future you yeah. yes 
Oh my gosh, before Kemi's question, y'all send yes. fam. If you, if, if you have never, well, Kemi and I have said this before. Everything you just said, Megan, we just actually recorded. We just did. All of it, what you just said. You like literally said everything we said. So y'all send fam. <laughs> if you don't believe me and Kemi, listen to somebody who is in financial yep. aid, who has years of experience and said the same thing. So we weren't lying to you. We promised we were telling the truth. Yep. Yep. <laughs> we just did a so get that free money. Yeah, go get the free money. Get that free money. Go get the free money. We just did like a little scholarship like mini sewed right before you came out. I was like, she yeah. she knew. She knew. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my thing is I want everybody to walk out the door with the education they want with as little debt as possible so that their lives end up in a place to where they're focused on everything else and not, you know, a $400 student loan payment coming out of their paycheck for the next 30 right. years. So you really, past you, current you right now can super help future you by putting that work in. So mm -hmm. that's my, that's my stool I stand on and kind of yell from the rooftops. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on a check your email and apply yep. for scholarship <laughs> t-shirt. Maybe I need both of yeah. those yep. on yeah. my shirt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So our next question is, so what happens if a student's financial circumstances change during their college program? Is there something they can do about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, and we have dealt with a lot of this because a lot of people's financial circumstances have changed in the last couple of years. And one thing I didn't mention earlier, but is important is FAFSA is based off of what we call prior prior year. Mm -hmm. um, so it's two years back. So this 23-24 FAFSA, they're using 2021 taxes for um, well, your financial circumstances can change a lot in two years based off of that tax right. year. You know, somebody lost a job, somebody had hours cut, a ton of people had that kind of circumstance go on. So yes, um, financial aid advisors are given something called professional judgment, which means within the bounds of the regulations, we can use our professional judgment to adjust FAFSA information for you. You cannot do this. So when you file your FAFSA, don't go, well, my mom makes $20,000 a year or less now, so I'm going to just put that on my FAFSA. No, no, no. You have to file the FAFSA as directed, but then you contact your financial aid office and say, hey, is there a, a form that you have that I can fill out to indicate that I've had a change in income, that something's gone on and my family's making less money than what my FAFSA reflects? And they should. D different schools have different forms. It's not like a standard one. We have one we call it a change of income process um, where we'll ask you things like, tell me about the circumstance and also submit some taxes to me, some updated taxes or um, a letter from your employer saying that you've been terminated or it'll just depend on the circumstances that are there or your mom had a baby that had a ton of medical complications. Some of that is built into the FAFSA for some, some medical stuff, but there's a way that I can go through and calculate out if you've exceeded that threshold the way the taxes are to see if maybe we need to lower that EFC. So yeah, absolutely. Contact your financial aid office. You're not married to um, that EFC if it's not reflective of your of your current circumstance. And some schools may also have institutional funding depending on the um, depending on the circumstance too. A, a former institution had an emergency fund for students who, and it wasn't a lot of money, but their car broke down and they couldn't get to class and they didn't have the money for it. Well, they submitted a form in there and were able to get some funds that the school had set aside for things like that. It is always better to communicate with your financial aid office and ask questions than to not say anything to them because you are afraid or embarrassed of of what your family circumstances are i've seen i've been in financial aid i don't know six years and i have seen everything across the board um in terms of stuff families are dealing with so contact us so we can help you we are we are there to help you get the money that you 
can get in order to get through school. So yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's a great plug. I know my community college, we have funding for students, like if they're halfway through their program, which mm -hmm. can also include certificates that they, if their car breaks down, they need, you know, something repaired. There's money out there for that. So that's a great mm -hmm. plug for those like other offices that work with financial aid as well. Um, but the next question, so if, if you have more than one, definitely feel free to share more than one. <laughs> uh, what's a common misconception that family students have around financial aid? Yeah, I mean, I think I said it earlier, but the biggest one is I'm not going to file the FAFSA because I'm not going to get anything. And they just write themselves off from the very beginning for having access to any type of funding. And some scholarships, not to go back to that since we've definitely been on that, but some scholarships will require that EFC information on your scholarship application. You get it in. Go ahead and get it in. Um, the other thing that I am kind of passionate about is that all financial aid is loans. And it's not all loans. And I don't want you to be afraid of loans. Um, and I tell students this, on, students this on a regular basis. I don't want you to be afraid of them. I don't want you to not go to school because you're afraid of loans. What I do want you to do is make informed decisions about the funding that you're taking out. I want you to look at loans as an investment in your degree if you need it to get there. Mm -hmm. You are investing in yourself by taking out that loan funding and work with your financial aid office. You may not need that full $5,500. You may only need $3,000. So don't just hit the yeah. accept button and accept the loan because you're like, this is easier. Yeah, in that moment, it's easier, but it's not easier in 15 years when you could have been done paying off your student loans three years ago and you're still paying on them. You don't get that new car. You don't get that house payment that you that you wanted to do. Um, I tell this story and my poor um, people that have sat in on my financial aid sessions are probably sick of hearing it, but y'all are new, so you haven't heard the story. Um, my college roommate, her now husband, went to school completely on his own. Um, he... He went on a Pell Grant, and I didn't know anything about any of this when he was in school, but he was paying for it all himself, which I thought was kind of crazy. But he, I mean, he did this all himself, went to a four-year institution, worked, did things like that, and he took out loans because that was his only option to go to school was to take out some loan funding in addition to some of the grant funding and state funding and things like that he'd gotten. Well, he would sit down every semester and write down the amount of loan funding that he was taking out that semester, and then he would take each of his classes and each of the times they met and he'd divide all that up and he would tell himself how much money he was wasting yes, by skipping class. Yes, I love that. <laughs> so he never missed class. He missed class for two or three days when he tore his ACL skiing. And I think that's the only time he ever missed a class. Because he looked at it and said, if I'm paying for it and if future me is paying for it, then I need to get out of this class what I need to get out of this class. Like it's, it's stupid to pay for something that you're not taking advantage of essentially. And I didn't think about it then because i was like no it's more fun to not go to, like it would be more fun to like go out why are we not doing this um but now as someone who's seen you know thousands of students go through it was kind of genius of him and also kind of impressive that an 18 year old boy on his own figured all of that out for himself but i tell yeah. students that all the time just because i want them to know that it's loans are they're not anything to be scared of i want you to read i want you to listen i want you to pay attention to what I'm talking to you about with loans. They are a resource that's there, just like you take out a car loan or a house loan or anything else. They just are in the news a lot more often. Um, but you need to work and only take out what you actually need in order to be successful. Do not take out more than that. Parents, there is a Parent PLUS loan, which is an option. It's another type of federal loan that parents can apply for. Do not just sit down and go, well, 
little Johnny has $20,000 left on his bill he's got to pay this year, I'm taking out the $20,000. If you could take out a $10,000 loan and put the other $10,000 on a payment plan, do that. You can, most schools will let you pay however you want to pay. Like in terms of you want to, you know, pay $300 a month and take out a parent plus loan, then do that. Don't undercut yourselves either. Um, Cause for a while, like if you still had a parent plus loan and you passed away, they would give it to your child. Like, and your child would have to pay it off. Yep. I think they've changed that, but even still the, pay attention to the loans that you're taking out don't just say yes because it's offered to you i am required to offer you what you are eligible for that is my job that is what i have to require i have to offer you the what you are eligible for but you do not have to take all of it out so i want students and families in particular to figure out what is financially viable for them and work with your financial aid office and it might change from year to year you might have to take out a loan that freshman year but maybe you get a, a scholarship your sophomore year or you've worked a little bit more and saved up some money over the summer don't just take out the loan because that's what you did last year don't take it out save yourself that funding so that you look at it and go okay i know that this is the smart move for me um one other thing that i'll throw in there when i talk about loans is we've talked about federal loans. We've talked about the FAFSA and things like that. There are private lenders and private loans out there. I am very apprehensive of them because they do not, that your um, Sally Mays and things like that, but also your banks and you know, different organizations have these private loans, but they may not have the same terms. So you may only get that loan for five years and you didn't finish school in five years, but you had that loan for five years. So you're in school, but you're not working. And you still have to pay that money back. There are some private lenders that are fine. But if you are going to go that route, if that's what you've decided to do, you have got to sit down and read the terms. And honestly, if you've got anybody that's a lawyer, you might want them to read the terms too. Because the federal terms, I know, well, it's established, it's law. You, as long as you're in six hours, don't have to pay loans back. You have a six-month grace period that you mm -hmm. can use when you get into loan repayment and things like that. These private loans don't necessarily have that. So pay attention to it. It doesn't mean it might not be a good option for your family. Some have better interest rates than the federal interest rate, particularly um, military families. There's your, you know, your, what is it like Navy federal? Some of your places like that sometimes have good loans. So it doesn't mean don't do it. Shop around for loans. I don't care how you take your loans out if you're taking out loans, but pay attention to those terms because they can really come back and bite you if you've not if you've not read the fine print because you have just signed a piece of paper because you're you're getting that check in the door. So that's that was not a common misconception about FAFSA, but that is the other part of my spiel that I give about loans yeah. is that they're an investment. So use them as such. Yeah, I think the the biggest things that stood out for me and that we we try to navigate sometimes to tell people is you don't have to take all the loans out. I think people are just so automatically set mm -hmm. on, oh, this is what I get. I have to take the whole loan out. You don't have to. And two, definitely saying not to be afraid of loans because I feel like I always put feared my nephew say, don't you look at those loans. We need to, <laughs> we need to. Yeah. but the way you put it was perfectly. Loans are okay if you look at it investment wise and you're making wise decisions informed decisions about it mm -hmm. because the informed decision is I don't have to digest this whole entire loan I only have to take out a little bit to cover if I can supplement the rest so I think that was just beautifully mm -hmm. put um, but I think also too it's a long time with the high need income population yeah. so I have the 
I give that speech very often because a lot of the students I work with are first generation. Mm -hmm. They've never gone to college before. Their parents didn't go to college before and they have no idea how to navigate any of those circumstances. And so it's important to me that if they're getting, if they're asking the questions, if they can get the information and get the answers that they know how to walk through this process. Cause I don't ever want to saddle a family who's never sent a kid to college before with $30,000 in debt that they didn't need to have because they thought that was just what people did. Don't, mm -hmm. don't just do what people do. Do what is the right thing and the best thing for you. Slow it down a little bit. I know it's boring for the love. I know it's boring. You don't want to do this. You want to go to class. Yeah. yeah, you want to go to class, you want to go to the dining hall, you want to meet your friends, you want to do all of that. But it is hugely important to pay attention. Even though you're not maybe not writing a check right now, your future self is going to write the check that you cashed already. Okay. So pay attention to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now I'm, I'm thinking about myself. I, I was that first gen college student. I, I remember my mom when I was like, senior year, we were at some event. She was like telling people that I got a full ride to Elon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And 10 years later, I know it wasn't the case, but we just like didn't know. Yeah. It was just that like my whole award package covered everything. Mm -hmm. So, and that included a very substantial scholarship, yeah. but it wasn't a full ride. So now I'm like, oh man, we just like, we just didn't know back then. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, you're right. It's very important. Like I wasn't even involved in that process of financially. Yeah. I was just like, I'm, I'm going yeah. to school. And I was like, that was the grace of God. But I just, I had no idea. And now I'm reaping those, I'm reaping those consequences mm -hmm. of not knowing but it's a lesson learned that's why kemi and i do what we do so what you said megan yeah it's been that's a, a gem for yeah. sure yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, i have like an additional question on top of that so because yeah. we always talk about loans but i think a piece that people students don't understand that's important about loans is interest can you define what interest yep. is and an example of that for them so they can understand what that is yep so interest is essentially you paying for borrowing that money um, you are paying for borrowing that money. It's the same thing as if you went down to the check in the cash place down there and they charged you, they gave you a check for $20, but they charged you $8 in fees on top of that. So, um, you owe them that money. So that $20 really cost you $28. It's kind of like that. Um, it is you paying to take out the loan. They are, I am hoping, they are hoping to knock down interest rates and fees, but the interest rate also changes every year. You don't just lock in and go, okay, great, I got a 3% interest rate. It's mine for the next however long. No, nope. interest rates change with each academic year. They declare a new interest rate. And what that means is even though, you know, you might take out $20,000 in loans, that interest has sat there and accrued while you've been in school each month. It has started to add little numbers on there and it's a percentage. So it's a percentage of that loan. And so you're actually going to owe $24,000 for borrowing that $20,000. It's extra money on the end. So there's a couple of things with interest that, that you can do that will help. The first thing is subsidized loans are the better loans. If you qualify for a subsidized loan, your loan doesn't start accruing interest until after you graduate from college. So while you're in school, if you're using a subsidized loan, that department of they say they pay the interest i don't think they actually charge it i think that but it doesn't matter that that loan when you come out of school in four years is going to be the amount of money that you took out right but the unsubsidized loan is not that way that unsubsidized loan starts accruing interest from the moment it's dispersed which means the moment i say okay, little Johnny is going to Elon and I know that he's in his 12 credit hours. So I call the Department of Education and say, send me 2750 of his loans. I'm going to apply that to his student account. That's when that clock starts ticking. So it's usually October. 
um, of the year that you start. So you might accept the loan in August, but school doesn't start until you know, September 1, and then you have to get a couple of weeks. We have to confirm your enrollment. That's the other thing, too, is that you can't go, I'm in 12 credit hours, and then drop down yes. and stop going to class and think you're going to get a yes. check. Yeah, Kimmy's dealing with yep. this right now. <laughs> um, yep. yep. So you can't, the Department of Education does not let you have money just for pretending to go to school. They really don't like that. You have to use the money to, you're, you have to use the money in order to, um, in order to go to school. So that's what interest means. One of the things that you can do to help keep this interest down, and people don't do this very often, but it will help, is to go in and pay a little bit on your loan each month. So if you are taking out, you know, $5,500 next year in unsubsidized loans, so you're talking $2,750 in the fall and $2,750 in the spring. If you're taking that out, but you're working and you have 30 bucks a month that you can put towards that loan, do it. Put it towards that loan because the interest accrues based on the percentage of the loan that you've taken out. So if you can put that money down, you are you are dwindling some of that loan that you owe down so more interest is not accruing. So it doesn't have to be a big amount of money. You can you can go in and pay on those loans at any time too. Grandma gives you, you know, a $500 check because she sold the armoire and says, "Here's your $500." what do you want to do with it? If you don't need that $500 to like buy gas or eat food or, you know, do something with that, pay on your loan. There's no penalty to pay on your loan early. There's only benefit that's there. And it doesn't mean you have to pay all of it while you're in school because you might need that resource, but you've got a little bit of extra money. Same thing with parent plus loans. Those interest rates and fees tend to be higher. And I'll talk about fees in just a second, tend to be even higher than the, the unsubsidized loan ones. Parents can defer that loan while students are in school but but they don't have to that and that loan starts accruing interest immediately so you have an extra 50 or 100 dollars a month that you can budget in there you maybe you couldn't do that you know fully on the payment plan maybe you still needed that loan go in and pay on that interest there is no there is no penalty for paying on it you're just kind of helping yourself and if you can keep that keep that loan down lower you'll end up paying less interest in the end um and i mentioned fees so here's one of the tricky things that students don't realize um, there are gross amounts of loans and net amount of loans. So the gross amount is that big number. I've said $5,500 a lot, right? So that's the gross amount, $2,750 a semester. What you actually get is like $2,733 a semester because the Department of Education takes a little 1% fee off the top. So you might say, uh-huh, yeah, they do. I know. It's You're like, what the heck? Come on. And that's one of the things that's coming up too right now that they're looking at removing the fees, which would make sense. I don't even know what they're doing with those fees. Right. It's not that much money, but it's for you if you're trying to sit down and budget. So let's say you're going to a lot of students that, that Kenny has that are that are our online students, they're taking six credit hours a semester. They know it's gonna cost them, you know, three thousand dollars to take those six credit hours. And so they subtract down, they go, Well, I have fifteen hundred dollars in a Pell Grant, so I owe fifteen hundred dollars after that. So I'm gonna take out fifteen hundred dollars in loans and that'll cover it. And then they get a bill and they're like, Why do I owe eighteen dollars? And it's oh yeah, that was the fee that the Department of Education took out of your loan. So that's something to pay attention to too. We will always calculate your net. So if you would like to come to Mary Baldwin where I work and you you're coming in, um you can call us and we'll calculate it out with the fees. And most financial aid offices will do that too. But that's something to be aware of. Even though you're taking out that $5,500, you're not getting that full amount. You're getting that full amount minus 1% each semester. Mm -hmm. So those loans are not, not, it's not as easy to even budget with, which is also dumb. 
but that's just that is a personal opinion i don't work for the department of education i work to help you navigate the department of education so but that's one of the things you got to pay attention to too so not only do the interest that's accruing while the loan's there they also take a fee out when we when we call them up and say hey send down money for little johnny they say okay let me get my cut of this little money before they send it down mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ooh, i know I not even i did not know I, I, I mean i'm still learning i'm still learning all this stuff and i learned I have something new yeah. I, yeah i learned something new all the time um we have a an fsa handbook that is like 900 pages long so like i don't sit down for that for my nightly reading but their questions will come up in circumstances and i have to look and look in the code and look and see what the what the right thing is sometimes it's very standard and it makes sense to me because i've talked to students about it all day but just because i talk to students about it all day doesn't mean that students know so that's the other misconception is there's not dumb questions do not be afraid to call and ask about your money this is your money that you are using call and ask a question i promise you i have heard everything from here to sunday of different questions of things that are going on can i use this to pay for x can i use this to do this where does the money come from how do you get the money it's fine to ask questions we want you to ask questions so don't go i'm embarrassed because i lost my job and so i don't want to tell anybody that i lost my job well i'm not going to tell anybody you lost your job but you probably do need to tell me that you have so that you've got the resources that are available to you or i don't want to tell you that i'm getting a divorce or whatever well if you're divorcing somebody and they brought home 90 percent of the income we can help you with that we can help you get the funding that you need to support you on that do not be afraid to call and ask questions i know lots of places have you know, call centers and things like that that you're not entirely sure you know, what they're talking about get the get it escalated i mean i worked at an institution that had a call center and you would call and ask a question and they might would you go okay are you comfortable answering this or this, should this be escalated escalate it up it comes into somebody's lap like me the financial aid advisor when i was at another school to where i would actually be the one answering your question if you're not entirely comfortable with that this is your money this is your future this is your education you need to know as much as you can about it so you're making informed decisions and everything you tell us is confidential anyways so it's not i mean i'm not going around going well johnny's parents are getting divorced did you know that there's big drama i don't care i like i'm happy to support you I always have tissues in my office if you need to have a little cry um, but I don't, there's, there's nothing you're going to tell me as a, as a student or as a parent, that's not something I probably haven't seen before, or I don't know how to navigate to help you get the resources you need. We are financial aid. We are aiding your financials. So ask the question, yeah. do not be afraid. And there's lots of words. I mean, I've said lots of words today because we use our own lingo in higher education. Mm -hmm. It's okay to go, well, what was the Pell Grant again? Or what did you say the better loan was? Or I know it like the back of my hand because I have to, but I don't expect you to. I don't expect your parent to. So my first gen families out there, call and ask. Um, ask some questions. If you want me to walk you through it from the beginning, we will. Your financial aid offices will walk you through it. So don't be afraid. Um, we have lots of first generation families and we use our own language and talk about credit hours and enrollment and halftime and full time and Pell Grants and interest rates and da da da. It's a lot to try and manage, even for me sometimes, and I do it every day. So please call or send an email and make sure you are comfortable with what you're doing financially because it's important. It's hugely important to that degree. And then if you get it taken care of, then you get to worry about doing the fun stuff. That's what I tell students all the time. I'm not the fun one. I mean, I'm fun, but financially it's not fun. Um, 
but I am necessary. So if you go ahead and deal with me first, then you get to worry about all the fun stuff. You get to worry about, you know, the homecoming game and the free snow cones. Can y'all tell I'm bitter that no one told me about the free snow cones? <laughs> um, but, you know, you get to go do that because you've taken care of all your ducks in a row. And then I can stop emailing you. And so you won't get any more emails from me. So, yeah. well, there you go. I feel like I've stood up on my pedestal all day. So sorry, y'all get my preaching. No, today. but this is good informative information. Um, speaking of like questions, because you're like, I feel like I always have to hone into students and like anybody that's perspective too. Like, no questions, a stupid question. Like, I took my nephew on a college tour and he was asking some questions. Like, is this a stupid question? I was like, no, ask any question you know you want. Um, so mm -hmm. questions that came to my mind that maybe prospective students may just be curious about is they're yeah. so used to talking about like four-year universities. Could you apply for FAFSA in community college, trade school? Um, what if you're an international student? Can you kind of give insight for those three? Yes, absolutely. So the first one, community colleges, yes. And I mentioned earlier, um, and I, I work for a four-year university, um, but for some students, the better financial aid choice is community colleges. A lot of times their rates are lower, their per hour rates are lower. So you might be able to go to school on a Pell Grant. And depending on your state, um, you may be able to get a free community college education based off of filing that FAFSA. So as you're sitting down trying to make, you know, financial decisions for yourself, it's a, it's a good route to go. One of the questions I got asked is a, um, when I worked in admissions and still kind of when I wear my enrollment hat is, should I take AP classes or dual enrollment? Well, it depends on what your goals are and what your you know what your financial situation is. If you want to get into an you know an Ivy League school and you're doing that, they're probably going to look at those AP scores. That's that's important to show that knowledge. But if you are a student who's like, I don't really care about having a Harvard sweatshirt. Like I could just order one from the internet. I don't need a degree yep. from there. <laughs> um, I actually would you know, would like to get through school sooner and take out less debt, take those dual enrollment classes too at your local community college, get some credits before you get into school. You might be able to graduate in three years. You know how much debt that cuts down on? A good amount because you've taken those classes and done those things too. Or lots of students will go to community college for two years and transfer and lots of states have transfer rules where I know um, in Virginia, you can get your associate's degree in two years and then transfer to a four-year school. And most of those four-year schools, including schools like the University of Virginia, which is a very difficult school to get into here, have guaranteed admissions agreements from the community college into that four-year university. So don't just box yourself out because everyone has decided, well, that's what you do. You graduate from high school and you go to college. Well, yeah, if that's what you need to do and that's the right thing for you as a student, but also if finances are something that you're worried about, if that's going to be your biggest barrier to college, there are some other ways to get there. So yes, file your FAFSAs for community colleges. Trade school, it depends on the trade. Um, the Department of Education does not right now pay for your, um, like we have a, a shipyard. I grew up where I grew up, there's a shipyard and they have a school called the Apprentice School. You cannot file the FAFSA for the Apprentice School that's there's not a degree you get from there right um but like the stanton school of cosmetology that's in town they do have a fafsa option so it just depends on the degree that you're earning you can typically only get financial aid for a degree so a degree that you're earning whether it's an associate's degree a bachelor's degree a master's degree um there's a couple of exceptions particularly for teachers going back to get teacher licensure but for the most part you're earning that degree 
So it depends on the trade school. Ask the question. If that's a route that you're thinking of going, if you're going to be a welder and there's a, a community college in your area that offers a welding certificate and you could use that to be a welder or a plumber, which honestly, sometimes those people make more money than those people with all these degrees we got right. sitting here. Um, <laughs> yep. like, yeah, I have a master's degree, but the plumber up the street, I'm pretty sure, is making more money on his emergency toilet calls. Like, it just depends on, it just depends on the on the circumstance and what's the right fit for you. Um, and if you want to go back and get a degree or a certificate or things like that, um, it just depends on what that is. International students cannot, oh, that actually reminds me of one other thing. International students cannot, they can file the FAFSA, but they don't get anything. You don't, you don't qualify for any federal funding. Um, most of the time, if you're an international student, you want to contact the school directly and see, is there a form that you want to fill out? Some schools have international student financial aid forms that they aid off of. Um, some don't give international students financial aid. Some have agreements with certain schools to where you might pay a lower rate as an international student. So it's a little bit more difficult to navigate the waters as an international student coming into the United States. But if we have a student out there, if you're an undocumented student, you can file the FAFSA and some schools will use that FAFSA information to give you funding. You will not qualify for any federal Pell grants as of right now, but DACA is on the board. So here's to hoping that that will be a different situation for you. Mm -hmm. But if you are a student who is a U.S. citizen and your parents are undocumented, you are out, you are FAFSA eligible. You can file that FAFSA. You would put your parents' social security numbers in as zeros, put in their financial information. You are a United States citizen, so you qualify for federal funding. So do not not file the FAFSA because your parents are undocumented and you're afraid. Don't do that. It that. I've never seen anything happen to anybody. I don't know if students can get nervous. You can also call me and I'll talk you through it. But um, don't let that be a barrier to you. If your parents are undocumented, but you were born here or you are a citizen or um, a eligible non-citizen, which typically means you have, um, you have your green card. Those are the people that can file a FAFSA. File it. Don't let that keep you from going to school just because your parents are not citizens. That does not mean you are not qualified or eligible for federal funding. When you said international students, that reminded me of that because that's a little bit of a different, a different mindset. And we have a good number of um, students that apply to our school every year. They're undocumented students that we walk through the process. But yeah. Ooh, this was really good information. Um, no, I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm like, we need a third co-host. It's about to be you, Megan, because no, I mean, this, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, it'll be cool. Yeah, I mean, but no, for real, like, that was great information. I mean, I think we just, we have in the past, like, talked about it surface level, like, from what Kemi and I know, but you just, like, you did a really, a really deep dive. I think this will benefit a whole mm -hmm. multitude of people, hopefully millions of people. <laughs> Or listening yep. to this episode. We'll send it out. We'll get it, we'll get it out there so that people can get that information. Um, and yeah. I appreciate you guys having me on. This is, I didn't pick financially because it was glamorous, but I got into it because there's so much information out there and so many things that are difficult to navigate. And so if I can help a student get through school with, you know, $15,000 less in loans and get that degree that she wants to earn, it is worth the the time that I spend going to high schools and helping people file FAFSAs and doing some of that kind of stuff on top of, of serving our current student population because it's it's important. It's, it impacts the rest of your life that you're making mm -hmm. decisions sometimes at 18 years old. So mm -hmm. we want to make sure that you've got the information to be there. So I really appreciate you guys having me on and advising in financial aid. 
um, kind of have to work hand in hand anyways because financial aid is based off the FAFSA, yeah, but it's also based off of enrollment and that can also get kind of complicated depending on circumstances. Yeah. So thank you yes. for inviting me to be here. Yeah, no, thank you so much for being on here. We really appreciate it. Um, and we'll, we're definitely going to stay in touch because you mentioned things that may come in the, well, yep. you all work together yeah. first of all, <laughs> but you know, on the podcast, <laughs> we'll stay in touch because you mentioned things that are coming in the pipelines, down the pipelines. Yep. in the future so we'll definitely have you back but yeah thank you megan for being on we really really appreciate your time and your wisdom my mind is expanding for sure <laughs> well you can see me later if you've got more questions i'll look at really personally no. for me yeah what should i do about that's fine i have okay. friends that text me on occasion are like what is this what does the student loan forgiveness yep. mean and i'm like well did you read the information because there's like a link that you click you know, things yes. like that so um i there's no reason for me to have this knowledge if it's not helping people because it doesn't yeah. help i mean it doesn't help me just sitting in my brain so right. i'm, I'm yeah. i would love to come back on and and you know help you help students together i think that would be great yeah no no Plus, doubt like that sounds awesome y'all are cool we like you too <laughs> no, thank you no, you've been awesome <laughs> you've been awesome too but yeah everyone thanks for listening please 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 if you don't share anything else from this podcast this is i think this episode you should share with everybody parents students grandparents ever heard this episode share it with somebody because financial aid can be scary waters to navigate but if you ask the right questions talk to the right people it should be simple it can be simplified <laughs> i'll say it that way um so thank you all for listening for tuning in um again please make sure to like share subscribe to the podcast follow us on social media we're on instagram and tiktok at yasin podcast y-a-w-s-y-n podcast um, everything will there will be things in the show notes about financial aid that we will link if you're not sure how to find it Google's free but we'll make sure to make it easier <laughs> to find and if you are feeling blessed to be a blessing to us our Venmo is in the description or the show notes as well um, so thanks for listening and we will see you next time see ya Thank you everyone for tuning in and listening to the latest episode of Your Advisors. We'll see you now. Please make sure to follow us on all of our social media pages and check out our website. Take a look at the show notes below. And please make sure to subscribe and share this podcast. Also show us some love and please leave a five-star review. Catch you next time. See ya. <laughs>